Welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features those who take a leap of faith to follow their dreams and chase their passions. My name is Kelsey Cooper, aka The Social Broker, and today I got a good brother, dope brother, uh, frat brother, uh, Mr. Lakeith Taylor, and this brother left Chicago, moved to New York, $400 in his pocket, no job, no place to live just to chase his dreams and so forth so ladies and gentlemen welcome lakeith what's up brother what's going on brother appreciate you having me thank you man thank you man i'm eager to hear the story man because uh that's crazy you know leaving you know your hometown to move to new york without a job and nowhere to live with four hundred dollars. So let's <laughs> let's get it started. So the routine is I usually say you'll take you know take me through your journey in terms of where you're from, where you went to school, what you majored in, and yep. go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um the journey, man, is, is kinda interesting. So, you know, really lucky in the fact that I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, got to see a guy by the name of Michael Jordan flying across my screen at a very early age. And um, what I didn't know at the time was that started to see the love and um, a passion for, you know, not just basketball, but for brands and stories and visuals and, you know, how all of that kind of comes together, just like, you know, culture at its finest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so, you know, brands like Gatorade, Nike, and, you know, obviously Chicago Bulls and what, Michael Jordan did, you know, I fell in love with all of that at a very young age and didn't know that I would start a career in marketing, but that for sure was the the beginning of kind of bringing all of that together. So, mm-hmm. you know, fast forward, went on to play basketball at Southern Illinois University, also, you know, players the illustrious fraternity, cop out the side, fraternity incorporated, mm-hmm. and, um, and was really just kind of, Started out as an architecture major, interior design minor, but very quickly realized that, you know, this was a industry that just wasn't suited to people of color, mm-hmm. especially at that time. You know, this is late 90s, you know, um, and I, I was like, I don't really see a future for myself in this. So spent about a year and a half within, within the architecture industry and left it and had to figure out what was next. Stumbled mm-hmm. upon the college of business. Someone recommended it to me and told me about marketing. So I did a little bit of research and I was like, oh, wow, like this is that thing that Nike was doing, you know, when I saw Michael Jordan and what Gatorade and like, you know, these are like the masters of it. So it's like, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta be in this. Mm-hmm. Jumped into the marketing program and literally got the best grades I've ever gotten in, in my life. Wow. You know, um, I found something that I was, you know, one, like really passionate about and, you know, kind of just innately good at, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. I got it, you know, right away. And I was able to like understand things and concepts and, you know, kind of put things in a way that like made sense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I tell people this all the time, like, you know, my grades, you know, prior to that, like I wasn't the straight A student. I was the, you know, couple A's here, some B's, some C's, maybe get a D in there. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I wasn't really good at test taking and, you know, regurgitating information. Like, I I, I was just really terrible, man. So, mm-hmm. um, I'll say this to this day, like, I'm not 
smart, I consider myself to be intelligent, like mm. the ability to think critically and, you know, connect the dots and analyze and, you know, piece together things like mm-hmm. that's what, what I'm good at. And marketing just kind of really helped bring all of that together. Wow. But I didn't even know it at the time. Okay. So you ace marketing, graduated yep. from um, college. Uh, what did you do once you graduated? Uh, I think I was like most people. It's like, okay, what the hell is next? <laughs> right. Um, you know, marketing is a pretty broad field. And, you know, there's so many different specializations within marketing that you could go into. Um, I just hadn't figured out what that looked like for me yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I jumped into grad school. I had a assistantship offer. Um, really, all I did was just kind of buy me time to figure it out without mm-hmm. having to pay back my student loans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And, you know, my second year in grad school, I went to visit um, a buddy of mine in New York City and fell in love. I was like, wow, like, I don't know what I need to do to get here. I know I have to be in New York City. And so this was around March, came back, um, finished out the semester, kind of let everybody know I was leaving. Um, Did they believe you when you you tell them, like, I'm I'm leaving, going to I mean, you got to think, man, I'm like, I'm early 20s. Like, this is such a radical idea. It's like, right. what? Moving to, moving to New York? Like, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. So, like, it, I even had that initially. And the only one who kind of believed me, I guess, was like, you know, my girlfriend and, and my mom, you know? It was mm-hmm. like, but, um, yeah, came back and just, you know, packed up two bags of clothes, bought a one-way plane ticket, and uh, moved to New York City. No apartment, no job, nothing, man. Just vision. So what happened once you do that? Got to New York. Yeah. Uh, stayed on that same buddy's couch. Darius was letting me stay there for like a month. Another friend of ours had recently moved to New York. Um, she was like, Keith, I don't really have any furniture, but, you know, you, you're more than welcome to, like, sleep on the floor. Wow. I did that for like a month and a half um, until I was able to save enough money and, and get my own place. Now, save money was not meaning like working in this marketing field. I was bouncing clubs. I was doing, you know, small random graphic design projects. I Mm. was, uh, you know, uh, working retail at Barney's, like, you know, as a part-time, like I was doing everything I could just to make some money. Right. Um, And, you know, did that until I was able to get my place and grinded it out for, you know, another six, seven, eight months mm-hmm. until I got my first job in New York, which was at Nike. Wow. And crazy. Came kind of full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that I wanted, the thing that I had been after, that I didn't know I was after, you know, really came, came to fruition for me after I, like, stepped out and bet on myself, you know? Right. Um, and it wasn't easy, man. Like, you know, eating sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, not knowing where your rent is going to come from. Like, wow. it, was, it was a struggle. Survival, sure. And survival instincts just kicked in, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I mean, that started very early on, like, just in, in you know, in Chicago and, and being born to a, a teenage mom. Like, you mm. know, she was a kid herself. So, like, we were both figuring things out. Wow. You know what I mean? mm. um, so, while she was working, yeah, there was family around, but a lot of times, you know, I, I had to figure out how to how to raise myself. Mm. You know, my so, dad wasn't in the picture, no siblings, so it was tough. Wow, 
So, uh, so you say he landed his job at Nike. How did that go? It was interesting. Um, I learned very quickly that, you know, the big sexy company that you want to always work for may not always be the dream position and dream role. Cause you know, when you just starting out, man, it, mm-hmm. it's tough. Entry level is, is hard uh, mm. to get up to a level where you're actually producing campaigns and, you know, uh, launching products and doing all of that cool stuff. You see, there's a lot of work that needs to be done mm-hmm. by a lot of different people, mm-hmm. you know, everything from, logistics, the product development, operations, retail management. Um, you know, I mean, you name it. I learned pretty quickly, like, what, how mar- how marketing worked inside mm-hmm. of a big organization. Um, mm-hmm. And I started to identify, more importantly, the areas of marketing that were, you know, that were fulfilling for me and what I felt like I could be good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that ended up being, you know, brand marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a journey, man. I, I wasn't there too long. Um, you know, Nike, you know, tends to have a lot of rotations, uh, you know, based on regions. So you may, may be in New York for a year. You may go out to Portland and you may go somewhere else. So there's just a lot of like moving around right. um, and there's reorganization, too. And I happen to get caught into a uh, reorg. So I wasn't there very long. How long um, were you there? Uh, a little under a year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you basically got caught up in a reorganization, and since you were like the last in, you were the first out, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing about you know, kind of getting entry level, even if it is with your dream company. Like, you know, if you don't find a way to create value for your company or mm-hmm. who you work for, I mean, it makes it very easily to just kind of like replace you. Right. Um, and I, I knew I had to figure out at that point how to hone my skill set, how to drive value, um, and kind of do all the things that you know I'm I'm good at today. Did he did he make any good relationships that kind of helped you along? You know, after that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's that's really like been the 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 anchor of my career. It's like, yes, I'm pretty good at what I do, and like I have a pretty dynamic skill set. But I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for you know, the people who took a chance on me and gave me opportunities and bet on me and saw mm. things in me that I didn't see in myself. Um, right. and, and and one of those was, you know, a gentleman by the name of Joe Branch, who still to this day a very good friend of mine. Uh, Joe and I have been, you know, homies, and he's throwing me work and projects, you know, um, mm. for the last, you know, 14 years since we first met. Wow. Um, he's now with the, with the Minnesota Timberwolves as, uh, system gym, but you know we still keep in touch. Oh, that's um, dope. Yeah, yeah, and met some other great people along the way. Like, you know, I was playing in this uh, basketball league called Nike Recess Federation (NRF). Mm. Super dope league in New York, made up of like a hundred, you know, creatives and tastemakers and executives. Just like, just really, really great collection of guys, and um, everyone who I met and like develop the relationship in that league, I'm still cool with to this day and still keep in contact with. And opportunities came out of that. I mean, you know, first, uh, first kind of real position after that Nike role was, uh, with Dime magazine. Mm. Um, and at the time I started had created the sister agency, uh, called 94 by 50, which Mm. was a sport culture marketing agency. So, 
you know, I went from working to Nike to Nike being a client of mine and oh, you know, okay. working with brands like Converse and Sprite and NBA and, you know, um, just doing phenomenal work, man. So that's really where I cut my chops in marketing mm-hmm. and develop the the foundation of everything that I do today. Okay. All right. How long yeah. were you there? That? Uh, I was there two years, okay. uh, a little over two years. Yep. Um, yeah, two years. And then, you know, uh, this was 2008, a uh, recession came and just a lot of stuff changed, you know? Wow. Um, yeah. So, so another round up, of layoffs um, and all that. Yeah. Well, you know, when you work with an agency and particularly with a, you know, uh, uh, a content publisher, a lot of your revenue is really driven from advertising and mm-hmm. from, you know, brand marketing. So as their budgets get cut, our budgets and our revenue gets cut. So, um, yeah, it's just a really tough time, man, for, for the agency and marketing space. Um, you saw a lot of things just kind of go up, up in flames. Um, but prior to that thing, things were great, you know? Right. So what did you, you know, recession hit everybody. What, was, what did you do to kind of keep going during that time? 2008 was crazy, like, in every sector. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, for me, man, it was even more than just losing a job. I mean, this happened, you know, December 2008. Mm. My son was born December 2008, so I literally lost my job about two wow. weeks before he was born. Wow. So, man, yeah, so... And, it, you know, first-time father, I'm I'm struggling with that mental and emotional kind of, mm. you know, wreckage. It, it was just a lot to take in. So, you know, 2009 was a pretty a pretty crazy year. But, again, you know, um, went back to the drawing board, was trying to figure things out. It was a, a, a trying kind of few months. But then, um, again, relationships and the people who look out for me reached out with, with this kind of, freelance opportunity um and that was with again working with nike uh to manage this customization space in soho called nike id 255 Mm -hmm. and um and so i I ended up doing that for a year um but again it came down to like if you do great work and you create value sometimes things are out of your control they're out of your manager your ceo's control but like if you just maintain really good relationships and you do great work, like some that that will bear fruit for you down the line. And like right. my mom seeded that in me very early. Like if you just treat people well, like no matter where you are in life, like it will always be a great thing for you. Like right. everyone is constantly moving, you know, up, down, wherever you see them, it doesn't matter. Treat people well. Right. And that's what happened. And even to this day, like, you know, those guys Shout out to, you know, Jed, who's over at Foot Locker, Justin, you know, Matty D, you know, Eric Newman, Christian, the whole dime, 94 by 50 crew, man. Like, it was just, it was just dope, man. And, you know, still got a lot of opportunities from from those guys to this day. Right. How did you balance being a new father and chasing your passions, you know, being a freelancer and all that? Man, if... I am still trying to figure out the answer to that. Because <laughs> that's it, hard, bro. You know. I, I mean, it's it's really hard. And it's, and it's especially difficult when you're young and you're trying to figure yourself out. Mm. But then you're also trying to do, like, you know, great work. And then you're also trying to figure out this 
you know, this, this, this father thing. And you're also trying to be supportive to, you know, like the mother of your child. Like, it's just so many dynamic layers, man. Like there is no such thing as balance. Wow. Um, so what I figured out was hacks. Like, what can I sacrifice at this moment to like pour into something else? Mm-hmm. So like, even to this day, now married, two children, you know, successful career, all of this stuff. But there's a quadrant, right? And if mm-hmm. you look at this quadrant, there's four spaces. There is yourself, there is your career, there's your uh, spouse, and then there's your children. Mm-hmm. You're never going to have a equal balance across all four of those quadrants. So um, sometimes I sacrifice sleep, but mm. that meant I was able to do more work and spend more time with my children. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I poured into my wife and I wasn't the best father because like her and I needed to reconnect and, and get back to a deeper level. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, sometimes I, you know, completely disconnected from my, my family and my children because work, I needed to get after mm-hmm. it in a way that I like, so it's just all about figuring out where I can sacrifice uh, time to achieve kind of what's most important at that moment. Right. So um, I know sometimes, you know, your family don't realize that, you know, I need to stay focused because they feel neglected. Did you ever get that? Like, you know, knowing that they've been pulling you, you know, want to spend time with, you know, spend time with them, do things with them. But how did you like tell them, no, I got to focus. I got, you know, I got to figure this thing out. It's not you. I just, gotta you know yeah put my, put my head down I mean, right now it's it's tough man it's, it's it's really tough and like i think a lot of times what we run into i 100 percent adamantly believe that your 20s and even like early part of your 30s should be all about grinding and you know what i mean mm. uh, like submitting your career and like establishing yourself um, I think when you start to have children and you get married really, really early, mm-hmm. you start to really uh, throw off the trajectory of your life. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be great because if that's what you want, cool. But mm-hmm. like for someone who's like really ambitious, who really wants to, you know, have a great career, um, it, you you need to spend that time. But, you know, I ended up having a child in my 20s. And mm-hmm. I ended up getting married in my early 30s. And, you know looking back it was like wow there are some things that i would have definitely done differently mm-hmm. and i put a lot of stock i put more stock into my career mm-hmm. than i did my family for a lot of the time and it just it wasn't a good thing and it, it created uh tension and it created just you know disruption in, inside of our home and it, it wasn't always good um, right you know but for me it was you gotta think i'm, I'm working in the industry i love for a lot of people, I got to say this also, there's also a lot of people who, you know, work in jobs or work in, in places that they don't truly love or, mm. you know, for them it's just a job. Like for, for me, what I was doing, like I would do it for free. Like, mm. it, like, I, like it wasn't work to me. It mm. was like life. It was everything. And so when, when you inject yourself and you have ambition, that level of passion, and you're injecting yourself into your career like that, um, it's, it's tough, man. Some things are going to suffer. But, you know, as you get older, you get wise and you mature, you realize that, like, wow, life is not all work. You mm. know what I mean? Like, 
it, like what is a great quote that like man spends his life working to get wealthy only to use that money to repair his health and his relationships. Wow. That's deep. All right. So you did a lot of, you know, did a lot of marketing positions in New York. You know, mm-hmm. how did you end up in Atlanta and what made you say that Atlanta is that next move? When were you like, yeah. I'm done with New York? <laughs> <laughs> well, New York was, was never forever. And, you know, I say this all the time. It's like the more money you make in New York, the more you spend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prior to me leaving, I had a, a pretty pretty successful position and, you know, I had established a great career. Um, I looked at my overhead one month and, like, told my wife, like, yo, we're spending way too much money. Like, this is – like, there's got to be something better. and. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking to, you know, stay in our family and, you know, maybe have another child. And it was just no way possible that was going to happen in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I was just kind of, you know, I was feeling really antsy um, and started really looking around at, okay, where can I go in the U.S. that has a good quality of life? There's tremendous opportunity. You know, black folks are doing well. It's creative. You could, you know, do whatever you want. And like, when you start to look through all those filters, there's not a lot of places. Mm. And we just, fortunately, one of my wife's very good friends had moved to New York. I mean, moved to Atlanta. We mm-hmm. came to visit her and it was like a February and it was like, you know, 72 degrees. And we like, Oh, oh yeah, this, this is interesting. Right. You know, started, started looking at how much it cost to buy a home, you know, like New York at that time. I mean, you're spending three, $400,000 on like a one bedroom hovel. Right. You know, and at that time, you could get like a pretty nice home and townhouse in Atlanta for like two hundred k, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So you're like, ah, this don't really make sense. And mm. then you know, at that time, Atlanta was just bubbling. I mean, cultural melting pot. It was all of these phenomenal things happening in tech, and you know, the film industry was exploding because there was this like really interesting tax credit where. You know, we incentivize companies to come to Atlanta to film here. So there was just a lot of things bubbling. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I can come here and do what I was doing in New York. And it actually make some real impact. Right. And once I started looking at that, there was no other place than coming to to Atlanta. So how did you transition? I mean, you you transitioned from Chicago with $400 in your pocket. Now you're like, you have a a wife and a a son. How was that transition? to 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 the a to atl uh it wasn't easy at all it was um and you know we actually kind of did it in stages so Mm -hmm. uh i actually spent probably about a year in atlanta um you know just trying to understand the the land and figure things out and you know uh, look at opportunities um i was still had my consulting company so i was doing like some work i had some clients down here um, good friend of mine by the name of Chris Hicks, who's successful, you know, music executive and, you know, just he he really like was the catalyst for me being in Atlanta and a large part of like why I was able to kind of do what I did in Atlanta so quickly. Like he just completely opened up everything to me. So um, the whole process, I mean, being down here um, to, you know, my wife coming down is probably like a year, year and a half. Right. Um, and in between that time, I actually left and took a contract in Chicago 
um, to work on, you know, uh, this, this agency business uh, with Game 7 Marketing. So uh, it was just a lot of things. It wasn't a smooth transition. Like, I didn't come down with a job and, you know, all of that. So it was Do you have somewhere to live? Do you have somewhere to live? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I was renting, renting an apartment, um, uh, really nice space. And then, you know, from there, once we kind of got here, we stayed there in that apartment for probably about another six months. And then we ended up buying our first home in Atlanta. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. So yeah. at this time you were basically working for yourself, you're consulting, you know, yep. other companies. Yep. How was yep. that? You know, how, how did that play out? You said you had some, um, you know, a gig in Chicago and then you had like a contact that Lynn, yeah. you know, gave you some work. How did that flow pretty well in order to set, set up, you know, the family moving? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it was good, man. It, it, again, going back to relationships, I had the benefit of just, you know, people reaching out because of the standard of work that they knew for me and the relationships that I had. So like people would just reach out. It was just kind of word of mouth marketing. Like I didn't mm. do, any promotion whatsoever. Now, things could have been better if I would have done a promotion, but you know, when you get in a pretty steady stream of projects and opportunities, you know, it's like, okay, well, let me, let me just focus in on this. Um, I will say though, the thing that people fall in love with, with, you know, consulting freelancer entrepreneurship is like you living on your own terms and like, Oh, I, you know, I got all of this time and I can do what I want to do and money's good. Well, that's the thing, right? Like when you're consulting, um, you may have a really good like four, five, six months, and then mm-hmm. you have like a terrible six months, and then mm. where money isn't coming in, or you know, projects are staggered. And I, you know, had kind of learned that, so I was able to kind of offset it with some other things, and um, you know, it, it it was good, and you know. In that time of moving to Atlanta Consulting, um, again, reaching out to the network, um, happened to, you know, stumble upon this this place called a gathering spot, which was just about to launch. Um, I was actually going to apply to become a member there because it's a private members club mm-hmm. and found out that, you know, one of the guys that I played basketball with was connected to the club and, you know, the two co-founders and their dad um, and got introduced and, came on board um not as a member but you know as a, as a part of the founding team for the gathering spot wow. um, and you know completely by far one of the most unbelievable rewarding fulfilling like journeys in my life describe without, the gathering spot question. for people don't know what the gathering spot yeah, is. so yeah, so the gathering spot is a, you know, it's a private members club, right? So if you take a component of a co-working space, say like WeWork, mix it with, say, Soho House or like a members-only club where restaurant, bar, and cocktails, you put those two together, that's the gathering spot. So it's this uh, multifunctional, amazing, you know, community of just thinkers, creators, ga- you know, gathered together in, in Atlanta. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a hospitality brand at the core so it was like you know events and you know amazing you know programs and you know just like phenomenal phenomenal community so um you know built a brand from nothing into a multi-million dollar national scale brand and wow multi-million dollar and it's for people of color right yeah yeah 
Well, it's not just for people of color, but, you know, if you look traditionally, we haven't had spaces like that where we can call our own. Right. So, like, if you look at the Spot isn't a new concept, right? It's really a country club without the golf. Right. But it's built with a cultural, like, point of view, right? Mm. So things that we did in there just resonated with people of color more so than it did maybe with other groups because it was built by people of color. So right. we stayed true to what was important um, and really focused on community. Uh, right. For us, it was about the people inside being able to come in there and see everyone in tech and, you know, entertainment, music. You know, I mean, you got Grammy winners sitting next to people who have built $100 million companies. Like, you don't get that kind of mix anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So we intentionally curated that and built it mm-hmm. for that purpose. Right. You know, so... Um, it, it's not a co-working space. It, it's not just a restaurant. It, it's it's a it, it's a beautiful community that is. And it's um, a multi-million-dollar you know operation. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is public knowledge. I mean, that first year, you know, we did 1.7 million. Wow, um, just off memberships. Uh, I mean, so the business model is really kind of made up, you know, memberships, uh, there was uh, events, so say Coca-Cola or Delta, you know, whoever would come rent out our space, pay us a fee for it. Okay. Um, and because we had a restaurant and bar, uh, we would also get revenue from that. So members could come mm. eat a very, you know, amazing meal, take meetings, um, but that also served as a catering business for our event space as well. So. Um, it was a pretty dynamic business model. Um, okay. And the, the thing about it that I think we got to really point out is when you start a company, you have to figure out what business you're in. Mm. And, you know, the money that, you know, Ryan and TK raised, the two co-founders, shout out to them. Um, that was only the money to get the doors open. Mm. That wasn't money to keep the lights on. So right. Like, we had to figure out the model day one. Mm. And the thing we always said for companies like WeWork and some of the others, they have the benefit of being well capitalized and millions and millions of dollars that they can burn through. They never really have to figure out that business model. Right. Right. Well, we got to it day one and successfully so. I mean, you know, it wasn't easy, but, you know, like three, four years of straight growth, you know, never had a month of loss. Okay. Um, Yeah, it was phenomenal, man. So as a founding member, um, what did you do for them, and how long were you there? Uh, so founding member, started uh, 2016, April 2016, and was there up into uh, July um, of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, still still very much connected to the team, um, still very much, you know, supportive and, you know, still helping out however I can, uh, but... For me, um, you know, had some personal matters in my life that I needed to pour into. Mm-hmm. And I just, at that time, I couldn't focus on, on both. You know, building a startup and a business that's scaling and, you know, to the success and growth that we had, it was just, it was, it was nearly impossible. Right. Um, so I, so I you were the marketing back. director, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, chief brand officer. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I I worked pretty much hand in hand with Ryan, who's the CEO. So I mean, that overtail everything from, you know, brand to strategy to you know, I mean, everything, every aspect of the business, for the most part, I touched. Um, wow. You know, so it wasn't just like, hey, let me create this cool thing to market it. It was like, 
like what blueprint are we building for future growth? Like, what does the brand look like? Like, you know, what is our membership strategy? You know, how do, how does that look internally and externally? So like operationally, like how do we refine, you know, the business so that, you know, we could reduce our overhead and retain more profit. So it, it was literally everything. Right. Like, so being a, being a founding member, what, how did you feel when you had to like, you know, transition? Um, you know, it was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I was honest with myself initially, uh, but it it was, it was highly emotional Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that, you know, look, this was a team and, you know, particularly Ryan and, you know, TK, like I, I spent more time with our team than I did with like my actual family over wow. three years. So like, yeah, I became you know, brothers. They, yeah, man. You know, so like any time that you break that and like you have to step away from something that like like you you help build and like mm. was a steward of. Right. I mean that that's just tough, man. Um, and I think I just I tried to cast it off and you know just like because there was a lot going on personally at the time, I had some distractions, but once I was able to kind of get some of that stuff in order, um, I think I needed to deal with the emotional part of it and like really like get to the core of like, okay, like I have to like, I have to like get past this. Right. Right. Um, and I just had to be honest with it. You know, therapy helped. Um, you you took therapy, you went through therapy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it was therapy because it was just a lot going on in life. Oh, okay. Time. Not and, only that and, transition, but some, yeah, some not, personal yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest, man. I, you know, we don't give therapists enough credit, man. It is mm-hmm. really something I feel like everybody should use. Mm. Like, it's okay to be strong. It's okay to be, you know, like I'm, I'm a thug it out. I'm a grind, but like, it's okay to have some help, man. And it's okay to mentally release yourself from some of the things that you know, are stressing you out or causing anxiety or, you know, whatever you're dealing with, man, it is really helpful. Right. Um, and especially as black men, we certainly need to invest into right. therapy okay. because we are carrying around a lot of emotional and, you know, mental baggage from mm. years of our childhoods and relationships that we don't even know we're carrying. Mm. So in terms you know? of being an entrepreneur, you know, the therapy help you have a, clearer mind clearer focus you know how did you transition after the gathering spot you know to get back to chasing your dreams and following your passion yeah i I mean honestly man it was um it was a lot of work it was a lot of you know um therapy you know soul searching just at, at when initially stepping back from the gathering spot i didn't really know at the time what was next mm. i mean look there there was you know th- there's no shortage of things that i could do um so i wasn't necessarily worried but i hadn't really given thought to like what that thing is right um and there was there was an idea that i had been sitting on um for a while um this youth passport initiative um that you know was really weighing heavily on me mm-hmm. but i just didn't have time and space to think about it or to even focus on building it and uh, it was it was one conversation with my grandmother who, you know, was uh, going through some pretty challenging health problems. Um, and she 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 gave me 
the 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 license to go chase what I needed to chase mm-hmm. and not have to take on the tension of worrying about her. Mm. So she she told me like I'm so proud of you. Like I, I like you. There's nothing um, that has made me happier than to see you succeed the way that you have. And like you know, we started talking about what was next. And she said, I like I need you to go build this. Go wow. go like go. And um. It, it lit the fire in me and you know at that time i had you know the 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 band was to really focus on it and um and i did and i launched uh the awful journey project it's a youth passport initiative that is driven and funded by art mm-hmm. uh, we launched november um 7th 2019 and um was just really overwhelmed by the love and support um that i got for the launch and kind of mm-hmm. how things are just taken off since then it's, it's, it's been unbelievable this is another something else you've built from scratch huh yeah <laughs> like literally from, from nothing yeah so exactly what is it actually so it's a youth passport program so what it is is i use art so uh, artwork products merchandise uh to generate revenue i then take the proceeds of that revenue to purchase passports for uh young people of color in urban communities oh that's what's Um, up thank you thank you so this particular launch um i created a partnership with kip ways academy which is based here in atlanta georgia um and funding passports for their seventh and eighth grade students Mm -hmm. Um, so everything that i generated from that uh first you know show um you know we were selling teddy bears and artwork and prints and merch um, everything that we made is, is being used to purchase the first round of passports. So, All right. How did you establish that relationship with Kit Bay Academy? How did you just went up uh, to them, tell them, and pitched them? Uh, <laughs> well, I was familiar with Kip Ways, uh, obviously, you know, through my wife, um, and, you know, had started talking about this years ago. Mm-hmm. I used to go there and for career day and mentoring opportunities. Um, and for me, some of the kids that I saw talking to reminded me of myself when I was younger. Mm. Like I had complete lack of exposure to travel and the arts and the culture. Like I didn't get my passport until I was 25. Like, Mm. you know, I didn't, I didn't get on my first airplane until 11. I didn't get on another one again until I was 19. So like I saw myself in those kids and I knew what travel did for me. Mm. Um, So I started, uh, you know, I, I created this this platform to fuse all of those things together. Like, I need young people of color to see the world, and I'm going to do my part in helping them, wow. like, achieve that. Right. And, you know, Kip Ways was just a natural partner. Um, you know, what the Charter Network stands for and just the relationship that I have within it, um, um, it just made sense. The goal, obviously, is to expand uh, the partnership you know, pipeline. So, you know, we're not only working with Kip Ways, we're working with nonprofits, we're working with, you know, other schools. So um, this isn't just an Atlanta thing. In 2020, we're going to take the Arthur Journey Project to Detroit, Miami, uh, Oakland, uh, been looking at Dallas. Um, so this, this is, this is a pretty big platform, man. Right. Um, and for me, it, it's not something that I'm using to be cool is because I passionately believe in what I'm doing and what it will do to transform kids. And do thankfully I can, I can build it right. without it having to like pay my bills. Like mm. I, I can just truly focus on the mission. 
Right. So you say you have a team, right? Um, how were you able to pull that team together? Uh, again, through relationships. Now, I, I, when I say team, I don't have anyone on staff and payroll yet because, you know, we're not generating revenue to that skill and that clip. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, God willing, you know, down the line, that will be the case. Everyone came through like, you know, obviously I can compensate folks, but um, again, it came through relationships. So I'm just getting the people who I felt one were synergistically aligned with the vision and would like rock with it and who wanted to help. Um, and then who were also just kind of good at what they do. You right. know? So, um, you know, met a, a, a lot of folks just in my short time here in Atlanta who were just phenomenal people who want to build great things with social good and impact. And um, I was able to curate that, that team. Wow. So this is like a very new project for you. You got, you just launched in November. Oh. Yeah, it's super new. Yeah. Like how super what do you new. see how you see it, you know, in the next five years in terms of impact, revenue, you know, solid business model. What do you see it going? Yeah. So the thing the thing that um I wanted to establish is I didn't want to just create a nonprofit. Um for me that that is for what I'm trying to do it has some limitations. Mm. So what I did was I created an LLC with a nonprofit arm. Mm. So through the LLC allows me to do basically whatever I want on a, on a for-profit level Mm -hmm. that can then funnel into the nonprofit. So um, what do I see for the future, man? I I mean, look, I have a goal of, you know, buying 1000 funding 1000 passports uh, over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. And that's going to come a variety of ways through the revenue we generate from products and merch is going to come through brand sponsorships. Um, it's going to come through artwork and art that we sell, um, you know, obviously from donations. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm really just trying to create that platform. Think of it as like, you know, Warby Parker or Tom. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have a, I have a product, but every time you purchase that product, we then go to fund this very important mission that we have. Mm-hmm. And that mission is buying passports for young people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, revenue-wise, honestly, the sky's the limit. I mean, we're building out the e-commerce site right now. Uh, we got, you know, some pretty amazing collaborations on deck for 2020 that um, I think is going to make some waves. Uh, we got some brand relationships and partnerships coming in 2020 and then, um, obviously just scaling out to different cities. So, I mean, this, this thing really has no, no ceiling. Like it can go a number of different ways. So I'm just honestly enjoying the journey and I'm trying not to limit it to just what I feel like is most important. Cause at right. the end of the day, it's about getting passports and how we can achieve that goal. Like, I don't care. You right. know what I mean? Question. So. Um, you made a lot of mm-hmm. transitions and pivots over the years. Um, your wife, how did that impact your wife and your relationship and your family? And how supportive was she in, in you chasing your passion and dreams? Yeah, well, she she's always been supportive. I'm not going to say it's always been easy for her to support. Mm. Um, she's supportive because she knows I'm not just saying these things casually and not. 
sitting on the couch watching TV, wishing for them to happen. Right. She sees me grinding, putting in the work to to make them happen. So, anytime you got someone who's chasing the dreams, I mean, like you, you kind of have to be supportive. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest and say I didn't always go about guarding her support in the right way. I would almost kind of be bullish and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm mm. doing this. And it's like, versus like sitting down and having a conversation with her and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. I want to make sure that you're not impacted, that, you know, our family is intact and really coming up with a unified plan mm-hmm. that works for both of us versus me making a decision and her having to just like fall in line with it. Right. I did a lot of that early on mm-hmm. and, you know, through the last, you know, probably year and change, couple years, um, have have really shifted that focus a lot. And it's been better for everybody and you and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, tremendously better, man. And, you know, that just comes with growth, maturity, losses, and pit pitfalls and setbacks um, in therapy. <laughs> you know, wow. you're, you're able to, to really uncover things that you may not see as problematic, but really and deeply impact others. Mm-hmm. Um and so now, you know, uh, not perfect, but we're 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 in a really great space. Okay, man. As an yeah. entrepreneur, bro, what advice do you give any you know someone who wants to like, you know, move to New York and or wherever Atlanta to without knowing people, without money, without places to live? What advice to give someone to like, yo, who's who's bent on doing that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there a, a few things, three things actually. First thing is um, there's a difference between like working on a business and working in the business. And like what I'm finding is there's a lot of people who are just really enthralled by the term entrepreneur and like the sexiness of it mm-hmm. and don't really understand how much work, like you're actually going to work 10 times harder as an entrepreneur than you ever did in your full-time role. So like be prepared to pin in the work and it's got to be something you're passionate about. Don't chase the money, chase a purpose and a vision. The Mm. money will come, right? Mm. That's the first thing. Second thing is know what you're getting into it for. Like if you're an entrepreneur, there's only a few ways that a business can fail to exist. Like you either run out of money, you build the business to get acquired or you just do it forever. Mm-hmm. what is the end game for your entrepreneurship mm. and like be re- be real with yourself like are you building something just to be cool or are you trying to build a business that helps people and solve problems mm-hmm. right um and then the third thing is like um <laughs> the 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 like dream can't be bigger than a hustle mm. right like you can't you you gotta you gotta put in the work the reason why the gathering spot achieves so much success is like our team worked relentlessly. Like there's nobody. I would stack up the gathering spot team against anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, what I does relentless you, right? look like? You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, well, we got we grind." What does a grind look like for success to actually happen? That 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 means that you're constantly thinking about how to make the business better, mm-hmm. because the moment you fall in love with your success yesterday you miss out on today. Like mm. yesterday's home runs don't win today's games, right? And that's really kind of how our our team operated. 
It's like we were constantly looking to pivot and prove how can we make this better? How can we add more value to members, right? How can we be a better partner? How can we deliver better event experiences? Like constantly, relentlessly asking questions, being curious, studying, and challenging each other to be better. You know what I mean? And like that's what relentless is. It doesn't mean like, oh, I got to stay up four days straight and do this. It's like it's actually really stupid. Mm-hmm. Like we waste more time than we think. And if you really just take a step back, focus in on what's truly important and lock in on it, you could do that for four or five hours out of a day and be more productive, efficient, and effective than someone who say they're working 15 hours. Yeah, you don't believe in team no sleep. (laughs) No, no, man. uh, Yeah, I I used to be like that in my 20s, man, but that's just ridiculously stupid, man. Mm -hmm. Sleep affects every single part of our body from how our minds work, the way our organs function, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You know, our circadian rhythm. is. There's just so many benefits to sleep. Mm -hmm. They're like, you have to get it. Now, am I sleeping eight, nine, ten hours a night? No, but consistently getting quality sleep is very important for everyone. Right. Like, and and talking to Arthur Blank, like the, you know, who founded Home Depot, owns the Atlanta Falcons, all of that. Um, the one thing he said to, to me and another member on our team, he's like, you know, the thing that young folks don't realize is how important it is to just like focus on yourself, get sleep in your family. He's like, everyone's so like money comes and goes. And like what happens when you make all the money, but your health is terrible. You've ruined relationships because you weren't around your kids don't like you, mm. like, you can't go back and change that. You can always make more money. Right. But you can't, you can't. So get some sleep, y'all. Hey, <laughs> for real. Yo, Keith, man, you dropped some knowledge, bro. Um, Thank you for sharing Appreciate your journey. It, I'm excited to see what's next, you know, and uh, where yeah. you go, man. I'm, I'm, You know, and you did all this, you know, being an entrepreneur, following your dreams, chasing your passions, you know, being a father, being a husband, mm-hmm. having a family, you know, figuring out how to balance both, man. So, you know, kudos to you, bro, and best luck and all that. Thank you. Go moving forward, Thank you. man. Thank you. No, I appreciate it, man. I, I've worked diligently to to get the things that I have now, man. So I'm uh, I'm in a really really good space, man, and I'm I'm thankful each and every day. All so. right, man. You'll keep doing Ooh. it and keep inspiring, bro. You know, I'm definitely inspired by your journey. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you all for tuning into Reverse Ambition Podcast. It is really a pleasure sharing these amazing journeys with you. It may take some time for you to find your purpose and realize your dreams or for your purpose and dreams to find you. When it happens, don't be afraid to pursue them. Be more afraid if you don't. Trust God. Trust your journey. And most important, trust yourself and it will all work out. Until next time, I am Kelsey Cooper, The Social Broker. Thanks again for listening.